Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As we uh, continue this series in Ecclesiastes, we're going to um, read the first 15 verses of the chapter. And um, uh, we, it's our practice to stand when we read God's Word together. Uh, so let me ask that if you are able, let's stand as we uh, read this passage. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 to 15. For, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful or perhaps appropriate is the case, the case I'll argue in just a few minutes, in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, as the one who uh, wrote these very words, would you grant us understanding, understanding of, of words and phrases that are difficult to translate and difficult to then understand, would you grant us your grace to hear, to understand, to embrace, and more importantly, to be changed. We pray all this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So if you did a a quick uh, internet search of Uh, What is the oldest rock and roll song? You would get at least five or six different answers. And they're all wrong. Um, Because the oldest rock and roll song is obvious. In 1965, the birds released Turn, Turn, Turn which is almost a direct quote of verses 1 through 8 of Ecclesiastes 3, which means the lyrics of that song were written hundreds of years, even before Christ. It makes it the oldest rock and roll song 
written. And I contend the birds actually understood a little bit about what the preacher, what Solomon is struggling with. You may remember, um, he's been examining life under the sun. And, and I tried to emphasize, I perceived, I perceived twice in this passage. It's something he's said over and over again. He's, he's trying to find meaning in his life. He's considered wine and women and song and wealth and everything else uh, that he could so far. And he still hasn't found his answer. The question, by the way, let me remind you, is, is asked initially back in chapter 1, verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? But he asks it again in verse 9 of chapter 3. What gain has the worker from his toil. He's searching for meaning to life. And at the end of chapter 2, you might assume that his view of life is, well, it's really just a feather being blown around in the wind. And it goes wherever the wind takes it, and it stops when the wind stops blowing. And then when the breeze blows again, there goes the feather again, it has no idea where it's going and it's kind of random and pointless and purposeless. At the end of chapter 2, you're tempted to think that's his view of life. But he has a problem. The problem is he recognizes patterns. And those patterns, those rhymes, those rhythms to life can't exist if our life is just a feather blowing in the wind, going wherever the wind happens to take us. And he sees these patterns and he writes a poem about the very patterns that are throwing his worldview off. And the birds understood what Solomon was saying. They understood his plight. And they tell us as much in their song. You know they make one change? They change verse 8. Verse 8, they do not sing a time for war and a time for peace. They sing a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. They read these verses and they say to the authorities, to the powers that be in 1965, now would be a good time to end war Let's make peace and let's, let's put a stop to, to war and hatred and anger on the earth. In other words, the time is now for peace. The time, it's time for you to act in, according to, in accordance with that knowledge. That's what you and I tend to think of as wisdom. That is a form of wisdom. Now, it's not... Proverbs wisdom, Proverbs wisdom says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that true wisdom starts with the fear of God. Solomon, on the other hand, is kind of looking at life and looking at these patterns, and he says wisdom is recognizing the times, knowing the times, and knowing what to do when. Knowing the right time to act and, and the right act given the time. 
that brings us to Ecclesiastes 3. First, I want you to see the poem itself. Uh, there's a, a poem in verses 1 through 8. Um, okay, it, it, it doesn't rhyme. Well, the birds made the last phrase rhyme. Um, a time for love, a time for hate, a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. They, they created uh, rhyme. It, there's no rhyme here, but it's, it's a Hebrew poem. The first word of every single line is, is the word time. And it makes it easy to remember. It makes it easy for us to kind of figure out the pattern and the rhythm and the rhyme to the poem itself. And you'll notice that there are these 28 words, 14 pairs. And each pair is an opposite. 28 words that sort of describe his outlook on life. 14 pairs of words that sort of give you a sense of each end of the spectrum. Notice he begins in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. That's, that's where we start and that's where we end. And for us, for life under the sun, there's nothing that happens before birth and there's nothing that happens after death under the sun. But he's using this form of, of Hebrew poetry to call our attention not just to the opposite ends of the spectrum, but to the spectrum itself. In other words, when he writes a time to be born and a time to die, he wants you to also think and everything in between. And you notice that as you read the rest of the poem, all of those things happen in between. He's calling our attention to the whole of life's experience. There's a time to cast stones away and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And that means that every, all the other times in between those two are also appointed by God, he ultimately says. And you notice, even in verse 11, he calls attention to the fact that He's writing about the whole of life, the totality of life, the completeness of life under heaven. Notice in verse 11, he says, also he has put eternity into man's heart. He's using a word there that the aim isn't eternity the way you and I think of eternity. Above the sun. Um, before creation, before birth, after death, heaven, like, that's what we think of. The word there, he's, he's intending to communicate wholeness, totality, completeness. In other words, God's given us a desire to know and to understand the whole of life. At least life under the sun. We understand these patterns. We understand these rhythms. We know there's a right time to plant tomatoes. We know when it's time to pick the collards. We know, at least historically, you don't harvest oysters in months without an R. We, we know these rules. We know these patterns. And we follow them. None of you plants a raised bed in November. Greens, maybe. Nobody's out there planting tomatoes at Christmas. 
And we struggle to know, I'm ready to plant my garden, but has it, as the last frost, as the last freeze come and gone, you wrestle with it every year. We want to know the patterns. We know there's a, a rhyme and a rhythm to life, and we want to know them and understand them, but we struggle to know them. Our lives have patterns and cycles to them, and we recognize we know those patterns. We know those cycles. We know that our life is not just a feather at the mercy of the breeze, because if that were the case, this couldn't be true. If our life was just a feather at the mercy of the breeze, you couldn't say, well, there's planting season and there's harvest season. You'd have to say, well, I hope I figure it out when the feather gets in the right place in the sky. And you look through the list, and there are a lot of things in these pairs for which you and I have no control. Okay, we plant and we pluck up, but we don't control the time to plant. We didn't control, you didn't control the day of your birth. You don't control the day of your death. There are a lot of things in this list that we don't control. Someone outside of us does. It must be that that someone above Heaven, or you know, not not bound by under heaven, verse one. Someone who's outside of time is the one setting these times in motion. You ever have those? You ever have those moments that you're going through some painful struggle in life? Um going through some difficult time in your life and you're wondering what on earth is God doing with this? You scratch your head, you look for meaning, you look for purpose, you look for aim, you look for what exactly is God trying to do with this? Because this is yucky. This is painful. This is difficult. And you, you endure hardship and, and you know, because we're supposed to know this, we know because the Bible tells us this, that, that it has a purpose, but you can't for anything figure out what that purpose might be. It's disheartening, isn't it? You go through those struggles and, and you, you're even tempted to struggle to, sh- to be shaken in your faith and trust in Christ. I mean, I, I know he tells me he's in, he's in control. I, I know he tells me he's in charge. I know he says he controls the time. But I don't understand what this is and that's causing me faith problems. The reality is, I think our, our faith struggles when our circumstances say one thing and our belief, our understanding of, of God's word says something different. When our eyes tell us 
the opposite of what God's Word says. When our eyes tell us the opposite of, of what our heart understands and our brain embraces, we struggle. And it's because we're seeing our world with our eyes and our eyes can't see above the sun. Our eyes can only see under the sun. We know that all things come from God. We know that He's in control, but we don't always know why. We know that, each, that everything has its season, but we don't always know what to do in that season. That's the preacher's struggle. That's Solomon's struggle in Ecclesiastes 3. You would think that times ordered by God would mean that every activity under the sun has meaning. It has purpose. But is that what Solomon says? The poem. Second, I want you to look at his question, verse 9. It's his standard question. In fact, I've already referred you back to verse 3 of chapter 1. It's the same question. Okay, he changes man to worker, but he does so to connect worker to all the activities, the events in the poem. He's connecting, he's sort of evaluating what he has written his poem about, the content of his poem. He's now evaluating in verses 9 to 15. And, and after this poem about time being appointed by God and a right time to do certain things and real wisdom is doing those certain things at the right time, he comes along with his question, where's the gain in that? What gain has the worker from his toil? He's always looking for profit. The word is just that. The, the word gain here is used numerous times throughout the book. He's looking for profit. Once you've sort of collected all your money and you've paid all your debts and you've paid all your employees, what you have left over is your profit. That's the word he's using here. And he's struggling. Where's the gain? Where's the profit? I'm not seeing the profit from these from acting according to the times as they've been appointed. Where's the ultimate meaning in these seasons and in these activities? That, that's the aim of the book. That's where he's headed. That's the key question of the book of Ecclesiastes. What profit is there for the worker who works according to the times mentioned in the poem. That's his question. The poem, the question, then he makes an observation in verses 10 and 11. He says in, in, in verses 10 and 11, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The seasons he recognizes come from God. He knows that God is the one that has established them. He knows that God is the one who has created them and set them in motion and controls them and brings them about. And he makes them appropriate in his time. 
the word beautiful in verse 11. It can mean beautiful when it's talking about something physical. It's used of, of Rebecca, I think it is, in Genesis. But here, when it's talking about a concept or an idea, it means appropriate, fitting, the right thing to do. These times aren't beautiful, they're appropriate. The activities aren't beautiful, they're appropriate for the time. These cycles are, are created, they're designed, they're upheld, they're, they're orchestrated by God Himself. And we long to know and understand them. We want to know the times well enough so that we know how to act and when to act and the right act to take at the right time in the right moment. We want to know how to live. We want to know what to do at the right time. This is your debate. Has the last frost come and gone? Have we had the last hard freeze? Because if so, then I can go ahead and plant my garden. But if we haven't, I need to be careful and, and take extra care and, and treat things differently. This is, this is the debate that you have every spring. Maybe this has been your debate this summer, right? I mean, I sure wish I knew what was going to come of this COVID-19 thing. I sure wish I knew because I've, I've got this summer vacation planned and, and it hangs in the balance because they got the COVID on. Or we're trying to figure out whether to start school or go to school or not go to school or do you have school? Do you start early? Do you start late? What do we do with Grace Covenant? Do we meet here? Do we find some other place? Can we get into the library? Can we not? But we have all these questions surrounding. We want to know and understand the times. And yet there's constant uncertainty out there. These are the things we want to know. These are the, the things we want to understand, verse 10 and 11. We don't have eternity in our hearts in the sense of above the sun. We have a longing to know and understand the big picture so that we can act according to the times in verses 1 through 8. In other words, Solomon points out in verses 10 and 11 that God knows and you and I don't. And for us, that's frustrating. He can see the times. He knows the times. We can't seem to understand them. Why? Because the creator-creature distinction is real. And we're not supposed to know. By the way, here's a tip. You may not get it all in eternity. You can say, well, I can't wait to have all my questions answered when I get to heaven. You might not get those answers. Because there, there's still a creator-creature distinction. There are some things we may Never know. We're limited. He's not. He can see the whole. We can't. We're bound under heaven, under the sun, and He's not. And for us, 
for Solomon, that's frustrating. The poem, the question, the observation, finally, he draws two conclusions. In verses 12 and 14, notice both verses begin, I perceived, I saw, I learned, I understood. Solomon is living by sight. Solomon's living by his own life experience. And he goes by what his experience tells him. And he frequently sort of returns to this examination of life under the sun. You know, I'd like to think we aren't guilty of this. Um, But think of the times that we, even as Christians, even as believers, even as people who profess faith in Christ and an understanding and belief that God's word is just that. It is God's revelation of himself to us. When we as believers choose to live life based on nothing more than our own observations. We make decisions based entirely on what our eyes tell us rather than acting on what we know to be true as revealed in God's Word. It's so tempting, I think, to think that Ecclesiastes is written by a a converted, a Christian Solomon late in life, trying to retract all the mistakes he's made uh, throughout his life. If that's what this book is, then all we have to go by is this book, and I don't think it's that clear. Because over and over again, Solomon's vision is limited to his eyeballs. I saw, I perceived, I experienced. Even when, and, and eight times God is mentioned in verses 9 to 15, though he's not mentioned at all in the first eight verses. And even then, you're thinking, now's your shot, Solomon. The reality of God orchestrating the times doesn't affect his thinking. Think of the times we make decisions based on, well, this will make me happy. This will make me financially secure. Uh, this, this is the easiest way. This is the, we choose all kinds of things without consulting God's revelation and saying, well, is this decision bound by his word in any way, shape, or form? Do I let his existence affect my perception of reality, my perception of life, and my decision-making? That's Solomon's struggle. He says, we want to know the big picture, and we don't get it. And so his conclusion in verses 12 and 13 is, well, there's nothing better for them, the worker, than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Eat, drink, take pleasure. This is God's gift to man. 
In other words, there's no profit from all this work because we can't figure out what God's doing anyway. And if we can't figure out what God's doing, where's the profit in that? A second conclusion, verses 14 and 15. God alone acts outside of time. I perceive that whatever God does endures Forever. Verses 13 and 14, he kind of focuses on man. 14 and 15, he focuses more on God and his actions. God, What God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it. And the aim is that we might fear him. There's nothing new under the sun because God stands behind the repetitions of life. There's nothing new. What has been will be and, and, and what is has already been and it will be. Why? Well, because God brings this pattern, these rhymes, these rhythms to life. And that's why we can't understand His work. Because our eyes won't tell us. Our eyes alone won't tell us what God is doing. Are we left then thinking that we, life is now not a feather at the mercy of the breeze, but life is more like a treadmill? You, you keep walking and you keep walking and you keep walking, but you don't get anywhere. And, and, and the, the whatever vinyl, whatever that is on the treadmill that just went by, it's going to come right back around again. And, and it's just fate and that's just all there is. Does that mean we're left with that kind of despair? No. How do we know life isn't just a treadmill? <laughs> Calling the meeting Space Force. Um, how do we know life isn't just a treadmill that's going to kind of be the same thing over and over and over Again, how do we know that there's something more than mindless, purposeless repetition? How do we know? Because God's told us. He's made himself known to us by his word and by his son. Because the one who sits above the sun in heaven has actually invaded this time. And sent his son in the fullness of time, at the right, appropriate time, so that you and I might be freed from this sense of despair and hopelessness. We don't gain an understanding of God's work, of God's world through our eyes. We gain that understanding through his and he gives us that in his word. What we're supposed to know, he's made known to us. He's pulled back the curtain. That's what revelation is. It's like going to the play. And, and they don't start the play until the curtain's gone. And I've never ever seen anybody get up. Once the curtain opens and is pulled all the way back, I've never seen anybody get up and run to the corner and try to watch the play through what remains of the curtain. 
God's pulled the curtain back and made himself known to us. And so we make use of that in his word. Time's never been a a dull repetition like life on a treadmill because all of these things, birth and death and planting and, and plucking up and killing and healing and breaking down and building up and weeping, all of these things, even in Solomon's day, were marching towards something. No, they were marching towards someone. Towards Christ, who in the fullness of time became a man and took on flesh and lived under the sun in order to redeem life under the sun. No, we don't always understand what God's doing. But that doesn't make our actions meaningless. Our actions are intended to participate in His work, in His world, to bring about His purposes are you looking for meaning in your work are you looking for for meaning under the sun you're not going to find it there your meaning is not in the things that you do the things that you do have meaning when done for christ meaning comes as we live to honor and glorify him in everything that we do. That's the purpose of the times given to us under the sun. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your goodness and mercy to us, that you have given purpose to the times and to our actions, and we pray that we would live more and more by faith rather than by sight, that we would live more and more ruled and governed by uh, your revealed will in your word and less by our own perceptions. Would you grant us glimpses of life above the sun, but would you also grant us patience and wisdom under the sun to know and to trust and to live for you? To the honor and glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.